Here we go. You're listening to Rumination Law and Gospel on this Thursday, October the 6th in the year of our Lord, 2022. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and with me is our good friend who was on assignment last week but is back with us, and his name is? Reverend Wes Reimnitz. Exactly. Well, not Reverend. Were you named Reverend when you were born? Well, I came from a family of, of reverence. That's true. You really did. A lot of them. And um, you just didn't get from the seminary recently. You've been out for a long time, haven't you? Right. Well, you know, the family goes back into Germany. We even had a rhyme that said, wrote a Greek grammar. You're kidding. Have you got a copy of that? No, never. I've still been looking for it. It was a German Greek grammar that uh, he had written. We know he was a relative, but how he fits into the hierarchy, we don't know. You know who might have a copy of that, and that would be Jim Belts. Mm. Because he's really excellent in Greek and uh whether he has a German edition, I don't know. Well, it was never translated into English, right? No, it was never translated into English. It was written back in the mid-1800s. Well, today you got a very interesting article entitled Self-Help Formulas in Contrast to Christian Conversion. Now, I think about... 90% of the article is very good, but 10% is really bad. <laughs> what 10% notice? are you talking about? Well, we're going to get to it. Yes, because what's really interesting, you can have a pastor who is very good in some areas, but still can be really wrong in other areas. So mm. just because you have a good pastor, for example, he quotes from John Calvin, who is an excellent theologian in many areas, but then in some, he really falls apart. So we have to understand, like, for example, he believes in double predestination. John Calvin right. did. And what does that mean? We are saved twice. No. <laughs> <laughs> double predestination means that God decides not only who goes to heaven, but he predestines people to hell. Hell, yeah. And there's uh, nothing you can do that. to get out of that. Yeah, I thought you could have found a Luther quote instead of the John, John Calvin. Well, the quote he does from John Calvin, we're going to find out, is very good. But hmm. a lot of other things that John Calvin says is not. Right. What I find really interesting and that struck me as soon as I read the article. He says, 
the first thing you need to understand in regard to self-help formulas is that in order for you to be improved, you need to be removed. Now, I never heard that before, but the more I read what he said, I agreed with him. Well, yeah. The the thing with these self-formulas is you can imagine that you're being delivered from shame and perfectionism, despair, self-hatred, lingering fear, constant regrets. And uh, you're talking about a life that's higher level than God can supernaturally create within your heart or mind. You know, in other words, how how is the self uh, greater that it can alleviate all self-doubts? Yeah, that's the main point here, that man naturally assumes that greater self-esteem can alleviate his personal doubts. But why is that not possible at the end of the day? Well, it provides no uh, protection whatsoever for your heart when you come under criticism. Uh, It's an obsession that uh, makes a person thin-skinned and rather quickly becomes angry and self-defensive. You... it's kind of a self-centered mentality. Yes, and that really occurs when pastors properly preach not the gospel, but the law. And people hate hearing the law because it's a criticism of their sinful nature. And they always try and defend themselves because they don't think they're as bad as what the Bible says they are. Well, I know a Christian that doesn't mind hearing the law and being told that they're a poor, sinful being. Who's that? In, in church on Sunday morning, when they hear the, when they make their confession of sins, I, a poor, miserable sinner, you know, talk about how we are poor, miserable sinner in need of God's grace. Well, we make confession of sins, and the pastor in a Bible class asks, why, do, why does the congregation say it with such gusto? The lady in the back of the Bible class raises her hand and says, because we know what's coming next. Yes. And I said, and what's that? That you're going to forgive us in the name of Jesus. Yes, the preaching of the law can actually be a good thing. Because it's it's kind of like going to a doctor and you might have a pain somewhere, but you're not sure why. And then he informs you that you might have uh, illness, a virus, or some kind of thing doing it. And at times it's very good to hear that they can figure out why you're sick because they know what's going to follow. And that's the improvement in the health. Right. And the thing is with the self-centered mentality, it ends up being a a self-centered sinkhole. It just self-esteem ultimately fails you because the the person at the center of the equation is flawed. 
and that, of course, of course, is mankind in in original sin. Well said. That you can't think that self-esteem, and that's what a lot of people try and do. They try and make themselves more important than they are because what they consider to be really critical is how other people look at them. But the problem is, no matter how hard you try, there are always areas in your life where you realize you come up short. And these pesky shortcomings chip away at our peace of mind. It really gets gets you down to where in order to be improved, is as he says, you have to be removed. Some, something else has to be put in our place that defines real perfection. Who is the greatest person ever to walk on our planet? Oh, of course, it would be Jesus Christ. And to understand the true source of power in the lives of the followers, you need to wrap your mind around the miracle of Christian conversion. Yes. There's no doubt that there are two ways to live your life. Either you do it through improvement of your self-esteem or you do it through Jesus. What does John 3, verses 6 and 7 say about this? Well, that's where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus and he says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You must be born again. Of course, Nicodemus says, how can I be born again? How can I go back into the womb? Yes. And what's Jesus talking about? To be born well, again. That's all. Of course, he's talking about baptism. The Holy exactly. Spirit performs the surgery on our souls and gives birth to it. Which was interesting, you know, uh, with this last weekend, it was at a family reunion. And we got on to Moses and and the, the pole where the snake was lifted up, and yeah. they were talking about that. And I I said, and that all these to John chapter three where Jesus talks about that, and, and then talks about God so loved the world. Yes, just as the snake was lifted up on a pole, so also Jesus will be lifted up on the cross and die for our right. sins. So this section is really pretty good where he says the Holy Spirit essentially performs surgery on your soul and gives birth to your spirit. Yourself goes under the knife and is put to death as Christ enters your soul to live within you. And therefore, it's not a circumcision of your body, but of your sinful nature. And he's quoting there Colossians chapter 2, 11 and 12. So what's the difference in man being the author of self-help and God? Well, uh, God's the author of the Christian conversion where it's uh, a supernatural dynamic in the mind. And 
Well, I guess you would see it mainly in Colossians chapter 2, verse 21. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for it is if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. I, I said recently that one of my favorite books is, of course, the book of Galatians, because it really distinguishes law from gospel, which he just did. If righteousness could be gained through the law, that means if you could become righteous by your works, your own works, then Christ died for nothing. And so that is a very clear statement from the Bible that works do not save you. Right. Well, the self-help formulas merely seek to improve the self, but they're unable to remove self. A me-centered approach never produces lasting peace. Yes. Yeah, me-centered approach and... That, that's a shame that so much in our society uh, attempts to do a me-centered approach. Self-help you know, formulas they, are unable right. to remove the self. Uh, yeah, a me-centered well, approach never produces lasting peace. You know, where we're, uh, some of the churches out there believe in the rapture, isn't that and kind of a the rapture? Uh, that uh, Christ returns, takes uh, some of his followers to heaven, leaves behind those that uh, do not believe, giving them a second chance in, in the thousand year reign that they can be, they, they, that they can come back to faith and be saved by doing good works. By doing work, and that's kind of a, a self-help there, isn't it? Yes. If you're yeah. looking for an ultimate success, and depending upon you, we are doomed. Because each one of us is a flawed human being who eventually gets trampled by our shortcomings, our doubts, our fears, and our failures. And that's because we're looking to self-help to improve our life. And, right. And, and you know, what I explained to them was from Second Corinthians 5 and 6, we walk by faith, not by sight, and how it is that we are uh, made whole through Christ who for instance, for our sake, he made God made him to be sin who knew no sin, and in him might become that we might become the righteousness of God. And then there in six, it says, "When do we believe? Behold, now is the day of salvation. You know, the time for us to believe in Jesus Christ is is right now. There is no what you call second chances there." He does quote John Calvin, and what does that quote 
that John Calvin says. Well, whoever is not satisfied with Christ alone strives after something beyond their absolute perfection. Who who are you going to get that is more perfect than Jesus? Yeah, and see, that's where I said John Calvin makes an excellent point. If you're not satisfied with Christ alone, then what you're striving after is beyond absolute perfection because in Christ you have absolute perfection. Remember Abraham believed the promise of God concerning Isaac and God declared him righteous because he trusted the promises of God. And that's how every Christian becomes absolute perfection, not by works, but by trusting the promises of God. And there lies even that, that uh, is something that God does. Uh, he, he removes uh, removes that from our hearts. We don't do the removal itself. For by grace through faith have we been saved, not, not because of our works. Yeah, well, you may have invested years of your life striving to be a perfect person and have sought to better yourself in every way imaginable. But there is only one way that you can become a perfect person, and that's through trust in Jesus Christ. And so this writer says, what would happen within my soul if I died to self and rose again through faith in Christ? How much contentment would Christian conversion produce in my heart and mind? Now, we're pastors. One of the reasons we preach the gospel is so that people can be content and secure. So what do we believe about contentment? How does that come about? Well, through faith. Uh, without faith, it's impossible to please God. That he quotes Hebrews eleven six in saying that, but in that same context, the false doctrine appears that he's talking about. He says, and that is, "You will never know until you take the step of um, faith." necessary for conversion. Do we agree with that? Well, you know, and I wondered when he started in his article, would you accept the Lord's offer? Yes. We don't accept anything because that would be a thing of our will. We receive the Lord's offer because he gives it to us as a gift. And so he really gets mixed up about how conversion takes place. He gives the right Bible verse, without faith it is impossible to please God. But then he goes on to say that you are the one who has to start that faith. And that's where we have a real problem. Uh, The old nature does fight to remain on the throne of your heart 
even though there is a perfect king who now sits there. That's another good point uh, until you realize that he's talking about a faith that you initiate and that you take that step of faith. No. Just remember, he says, and he quotes again, Titus 2, 11 to 12. What does that say? The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passion and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. That's Titus 2, 11 and 12. But it's talking about when you come to faith, then salvation has appeared, and you can say no to ungodliness, worldly passions, and sin. So he says... Well, Jesus reigns in the heart of believers. We still need to cooperate with the Holy Spirit by saying no to sinful thoughts and selfish desires. Now, I agree with that, but that's not how we are justified. What's that talking about? Not well, it's justification. It's talking about sanctification. How, how we live out our holy lives. Exactly. After we have received faith from Jesus Christ. So he says, self cannot be improved. Your self needs to be removed. You need to have Christ sitting on the throne of your heart. And then he says, once you are converted through repentance and faith in Jesus. Now, we agree with that, except for one thing. For him, repentance and faith is something that he does, mm. and that's what saves him. And that's not true. Well, therein lies that passage in Second Corinthians where that on the day of salvation, he listened to us and he helped us on the day of Jesus' crucifixion, death, and, and resurrection. And now is the time for the day of salvation. Is Now is the time for us to believe, but it's God who creates that, that faith in our hearts. But what does he say that even though self-esteem, self-righteousness, and self-help formulas produce a death grip on man's heart, soul, and mind? So he's not for that. But what does he say, thankfully, he is for? Well, that we, we are set free through Christian conversion by turning to Christ and repentance and faith. Now, we don't agree with that, do we? No. We are set no, free through Christian conversion, but not by us turning to Christ in repentance and faith, but by the Holy Spirit producing in us repentance and faith. 
And to show well, how uh, wrong his theology is, he says right. a prayer. And what is in that prayer? <laughs> well, he surrenders to, to the Lord. That's what he does. And while he believes that Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins, wash me with your precious blood, but you know, he, he looks to Jesus, but he, uh, as I said, he surrenders himself. Yes, he says, live in me and through the Lord Jesus from this moment forward and fill me with the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's a contradiction. Nobody would want Jesus to live in him unless he is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is a good statement where he's against baptism. When he says, wash me, Jesus, he doesn't mention the waters of baptism. He only mentions, wash me with your precious blood. No unbeliever would ever say that. No. And, uh, a believer would talk about how we are buried in in the baptism with, with, with the Savior. I mean, it's a miracle every time you watch a child being brought to, to the Lord's altar and given baptism as the pastor gives to him, baptize him in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is, is entering into the heart of that child, and that child is saved through faith that God has created. Yes, not something that the child has done with self-help. Now, what was astonishing to me, we won't name the pastor's name, but he's a Lutheran pastor. And so that's why I said 90% of the article is good, but 10% is false teaching. And people need to be aware of what is God's word and is not. Thanks very much. Pastor Reimnitz, for helping us through this good article you found. Tomorrow, Open Mic Friday. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check out to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.